Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Uh, focus on your mental health, you surely won't regret. It's mentally, 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 mentally yours. Mentally yours. Mentally yours. Hi everyone, and welcome to Mentally Yours, Metro.co.uk's weekly mental health podcast. I'm Yvette. And I'm Ellen, and today we're talking to Madeline Dorr. She's the creator of Extraordinary Routines and the author of a new book called I Didn't Do the Thing Today. We're going to be talking to her about how to unlearn productivity guilt, kind of the stress of always being busy, and how we move past constantly chasing down the best productivity hacks to not beating ourselves up anymore and just accepting ourselves the way we are. Productivity guilt um, has many, many guises. So it can be that feeling that you're not doing enough, that feeling of a never-ending to-do list that seems to fill back up as soon as you've checked a few things off. Um, It can also be the feeling like you're doing too much and that you're on a productivity hamster wheel and, and can't see the end in sight. Uh, it can also be that feeling that you're you're wasting time or that you're falling behind, especially I think in comparison to others. It's so easy to assume that everybody else is is having a productive day and that there's something wrong with us. Um, so there's many forms to productivity guilt, and then there's many I guess stumbling blocks associated with productivity guilt, and that can be perfectionism and comparison and expectations. So. Yeah, I think we can take it in so many different directions, just depending on the day sometimes, Ellen. (laughs) What is it like for you? And tell us a bit about kind of how your story of getting to this point where you were like, I need to cover productivity guilt and this is something that I need to tackle. Yeah, well, well, for me, um, like many people, I'm sure I, I felt like there's been this immense pressure to be productive, in particular in our society, um, there seems to be this relentless demand placed upon individuals to get things done. And so um, many years ago, I started to sort of really question whether I was getting my day wrong. And, and I, I felt like I was, again, falling behind and falling short. And I thought, if only I could figure out how to optimize my day, then maybe I would feel like I am making strides in my career and my and my life. Um, there's that beautiful quote by Annie Dillard that says that how we spend our days is how we spend our lives. And so I thought, okay, let me let me figure out how to spend my day. And so I started a project called Extraordinary Routines. 
And the idea was to speak to people that I admired about what their routine and what their day looked like. And then I thought, well, I can get all these wonderful little tips and secrets and then put them all together and find my way. Um, But very quickly uh, in having these conversations with these really incredible people, I soon found that they also felt like they were falling short or they were falling behind or that they procrastinated or wasted time or didn't quite know how to do nothing. And so I saw this... um, this shared stumbling block in this pursuit of being productive was sort of what we all had in common. And so I quickly discovered that even though, you know, we can strive to find this secret to be more productive, but actually we can't make the same recipe if we each have different ingredients. We have to find what works for us. Um, And often that looks counterintuitive to other people. and, And perhaps it's less about putting productivity on a pedestal and, in fact, tuning into sort of our own rhythms and our own ebb and flow and our own sort of nuances with our energy and attention and neurodiversity and mental health, all of these things combined make us, you know, we all vary. And so we need varying approaches to the day. From having um, these conversations and, and doing all that research, did you find that there were some particular tips that you ended up finding were helpful to you? Well, I think that um, the book itself and and the research is really, I guess it's anti-tip in a way, because I think the tips can become stumbling blocks sometimes. Um, I think that we can often think to ourselves, okay, if, if I adopt this productivity hack, then it will solve all of my problems and I'll finally be living the life that I want to live. Or if only I could get a routine and stick to it, then that will sort of improve um, my focus. Or if if only I could be more disciplined, then I'll sort of transform into this different version of ourselves. We see this in particular around, you know, news resolutions and things like that. There's these periods that we really fixate on this, this one thing that will help us to change. Um, but actually, I think that counterintuitively to that, it was when I sort of stopped trying to perfect my routine because I was constantly stumbling over that. I, I had this ideal version. And what that meant is it was so easy to sabotage that. And it meant that I was perpetually postponing my life because I was waiting until I was someone with a routine before I could sort of step into the life and do the things that I wanted to do. So it's actually putting that idea of a routine aside was the very thing that helped me to become more aware of what works for me and kind of interestingly arrive at, um, even though it's higgledy-piggledy, something that's more like a routine than when I was trying to force it or trying to, um, you know, be quite prescriptive about the day or rigid. Um, And there's this beautiful sort of um, Carl Sagan quote that says, you know, when you stop trying to change, that's actually when you end up changing And so I think that it's when we can be more accepting of our imperfections um, and when we can kind of be more um, fluid with with what the day might be bringing us and instead of trying to control it, we're able to sort of embrace it and maybe forgive our own stumbles within the day that we can kind of pick ourselves back up again um, and and step into that. So I know that's not a tip because it, it does require us to really ask ourselves what works for us and also look at what we've been trying to, maybe we've been trying to squeeze ourselves into a, um, into a box when, when it's not for us. And so maybe there's something quite empowering about it, even though it does bring 
um, perhaps a lot more um, thought is required and it's a slower process and I think we're forever changing and evolving with that. Um, so it's, it's an ongoing thing that we don't arrive at. I think something that I experience, and I don't know if well, I slightly hope that you guys feel the same, is with a lot of these kind of tips and hacks, I'll kind of try them for a bit. And then when they don't work out, I'll really kind of beat myself up and just be like, well, I'm just lazy and stupid and a failure, obviously. Did you find that as well? And how did you start to unlearn that kind of way of thinking? Yes, I think that's that's precisely, I think, the, the crux of it there, Ellen, because I think it's it's when we when we fail or we don't stick to these hacks or the routines and things and and we berate ourselves even more for not being able to stick to them, that's when we really enter the productivity guilt spiral. There can be, I think, a a process to, to really helping us get out of that spiral is probably what we want to focus on the most rather than trying to continually optimize our days and then feel bad about ourselves when we, when we don't um, manage that. It's really about sort of first noticing um, and realizing that we might be experiencing productivity guilt or um, entering into the productivity guilt spiral. And then once we've noticed it, we can get really curious about it and we can look at where it comes from. So maybe, you know, here we are labeling ourselves as lazy when really that might be a story from um, even our childhood. Maybe we, when we were sort of just relaxing or, or doing things that were sort of judged and so we've taken that into our adult lives, or maybe it's this idea of internalized capitalism where we're very much in a society that measures us by what we do or how much we earn or how successful we are. And then we, we sort of turn that judgment in on ourselves. It could also come from a place of perfectionism um, or even just overlooking that there'll be inevitable distractions and emergencies and, and variances in our day and our attention and and our even our physical health um so I think one thing that can really help is to then accept that and reframe those stumbles and see okay am I really being lazy right now or am I doing the all-important work of thinking about something in the background I think we overlook so much of that important absorption time um in the book, I speak about this idea that we're all like sponges and how like a sponge, uh, we need to actually have that time to absorb something. So we need to take in inspiration. We need to, you know, faff around. We, we need to be thinking and we need to be sort of allowing space for solutions to come. And then like a sponge, once we've filled up on that, that's when we can have the squeeze. And that's when we might be taking action or, or doing things or being productive. But both of those stages and all the beautiful ones in between have value. And I think that we've forgotten that. We've forgotten that it's not necessarily laziness or even being lazy can be something that we can embrace because it's a slower pace and maybe we need that from time to time as well. I don't want to get into a whole like anti-society like rant because I very easily could, but I feel like a lot of it is we're set up to feel this way and set up to keep feeling rubbish about what we're doing and not doing. What do you think the kind of long-term mental health impact of that is? Because it feels and sounds very damaging. Hmm. Well, as someone who doesn't come from a, a, a background of expertise in that area necessarily, I think it's it's um, it's really anecdotal and from the, the conversations that I've had with people and just observing. So I, I the question is a, a a big and beautiful one and and um in many ways I, I'm not sure but I think that this 
this busyness hamster wheel that we're on, this pursuit of being productive, this forever optimizing, in some cases it can it can really it can lead to things like burnout and overwhelm and and that is very much linked to our mental health and anxiety and depression and so on. And so I think that there's many people speaking to that particular um, effect. But then I think there's also this idea that, you know, it's ultimately keeping us distracted from what we really want and what really matters to us. You know, we're, we're told that if productivity is a measure of our worth, then it's never enough. You know, there's always more to do and the list will continue to f- fill up. Um, and so that can lead us to feel you know, quite empty and, and unfulfilled um, and forever sort of chasing this illusion um, of, of get, getting there one day and, and, you know, reaching this ideal perfect version of ourselves one day, um, getting through our list of things to do one day and, and then we'll enjoy ourselves. Um, all the while now we feel guilty for having time off or for enjoying ourselves or for that lazy moment on the couch or that even time spent with friends or people that we love can be tinged with these feelings of guilt or shame for not doing enough. Um, so I think long term maybe um, it, it means that we don't actually get around to the things that really matter to us because we're doing all these things that we think we should be doing to keep up. Um, and I think that that can have an impact on, on how content we feel about our lives. And so I think it's really complex things because we're really talking here about, again, that quote about how we spend our days is how we spend our lives. And I think sometimes we've taken that as this real pressure to then optimise them, but actually maybe we just need to occupy them and be in them and, you know, see that there's other things to the day than just being productive. There's connection, there's creativity there's kindness there's even learning something I think we overlook that and and even just having time to enjoy like isn't that why we're here in many ways <laughs> I mean off the top of my head I can sort of think about reading about a particular magazine editor and you sort of read about her routine and she gets up at 5 a.m she plays tennis and then that's sort of that that's sort of every day and you know I don't know then she goes to the hairdresser and it's all sort of bam 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 every minute sort of accounted for um it's what do you know have you any thoughts on sort of why we've got to this place because when we when we read about these things and hear about them I don't know there's a lot of admiration nobody sort of goes oh god why would you want to go up at 5am well maybe some people do but generally the the atmosphere tends to be wow that's an incredible thing to do I wish I could do it but you know or maybe I couldn't do it Mm. yeah it's very much put on a pedestal isn't it this um the people who can sort of um you know, squeeze out everything from their day. And I think that those people, it's, it's interesting. There's, I've got sort of um, d- divided heart with it in some ways, because I think that there's um, this interesting phenomenon that, um, you know, there's so many people saying how important routine is and how routine is a cure for so many different, you know, quandaries that we face in our days. Um, but at the same time, this, the people that are purporting how important it is also struggle to stick with one. So even though we're saying it's, you know, great advice, the difficulty is that so few people seem to stick to a routine. So really, is it a good, is it good advice or is it this fool's errand that we're setting people on? Um, but then the other, the other hand, I think that there are people that, you know, do have a natural frequency that, that, that is busier and they do feel like that they feel more sort of, um, content in their days when they do have a million things to do or they feel sort of you know that thing about ask a busy person to get something done and or you know we fill the time that we have 
Um, and so I think it comes back to, again, this idea that we're all different. You know, there's, there are the people that get up at 5 a.m. and love that and it propels them and it's a natural frequency. There are the people that, you know, waking up at 5 a.m. would really leave them in a wreck for the entire day. So is that something to really aspire to if it's actually detrimental? And then there's, of course, the question of sometimes that there are times in our lives that we do want to challenge ourselves and 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 see if we can experiment with, you know, waking up at 5 a.m. and finding out if that actually suits us or not. So there's all these different categories. And I think that it's just important to remember that we might read these things and this idea of productivity and routine might be on a pedestal and it's rewarded by our society. Um, but it's really about questioning whether it's working for you. Does it leave you feeling like a failure at the end of the day because you didn't wake up at 5am? And can we rethink that? Can we untether a little bit from this idea that it's the sole measure of our worth? Um, and that's complex because I think it's been made the sole measure of our worth because it is tied to success and money and, you know, even sort of status and all of these things. Um, but it's also productivity is so hard to define as well because especially when it's not applied to a machine, which is sort of what it's designed to be applied to, when it's applied to us as human beings, are we being productive when we're working for long hours or are we being productive when we've got a, a, a big output? Are we being productive when we might not have worked for very long but we had the, the solution to something that has been a problem for months and months and months. Um, who's to say that that's not the most productive that you can be, even though if it was the solution that came to you in 10 minutes. Um, so it's murky. And I think that it's very, it's tricky because it's this linear pressure and it's this, it's very rigid. And yet we as human beings are imperfect and we have an ebb and flow to our days and who we are. And, you know, we're trying to squeeze ourselves into these boxes, but actually maybe we need to take a more creative approach to our days and measure ourselves by or acknowledge rather that, you know, like creativity, there's this pattern to it and it, it doesn't just have this one set way. We can go with the flow of sort of seeing that there's that preparation stage like that that sponge metaphor I mentioned and then there's this time of sort of you need to be able to have that thinking space and to have that epiphany to then sort of lead to the doing. And so I think that um, yeah, I think that that could help us if we take a more creative approach, then we're not all just sort of pigeonholed into measuring ourselves by how much we do. Uh, we can sort of see that there's value to, to all of it. I really love what you said in there basically about, um, what you're doing at work as in you could get something really great done in a short time. Um, because I think we do still really fetishize, um, overwork in society for whatever reason, you know, we I think maybe things have changed a little bit from the, the pandemic, but I don't know. We've I think for years and years there was still very much a culture of you know if you you sort of work overtime, you work sort of extra hours, and you might be complaining about it, but it's it's still sort of seen as something quite sort of worthwhile, or you know people kind of might admire you for it. Um, how can we get more balance back into our lives? Do you think? Mm. Bit of a big question. Sorry. <laughs> It is, it is, isn't it? Um, and again, I think there's just so many um, approaches because I think that this busyness that you're describing, it, it has many different uh, guises as well. So there's, you know, 
this busyness that could be circumstantial, maybe that, you know, it, it really is this busy time at work with a certain project or busy in your home life or maybe you're taking on multiple projects or jobs um, or study and, you know, it's this time of it being a, quite a squeeze. Um, again, that sponge metaphor always helps me out because it's having that sort of time sometimes where it does feel like that. Um, and then sometimes busyness, again, can be your natural frequency like we spoke about, but it can also be this other type of busyness that is this badge of honour. And I think that's sometimes when we can do a lot of hiding in our busyness and busyness can be a way to distract ourselves from asking what we really want. Um, and so I think that if it is the that type of busyness where it's a badge of honour and there's some choices around how busy you are, maybe it's about really inspecting that. And one approach that I um, sort of try to return to when I'm feeling like I'm in that squeeze um, or I feel like I'm sort of perpetuating the busyness or, or encounter friends who might be, it's just a return to sort of doing an inventory of your shoulds. And so really writing out all the things that you think that you should be doing, um, whether that's for other people or for yourself or for work and, and really seeing a visual representation of all of that. And sometimes it could be a hundred things. And when you see that written out, it's no wonder that you might feel overwhelmed or overworked because you're carrying so much around. But then once you have that in front of you, you can take an inventory and start to look at what can be delegated, what can be postponed, what could be maybe completely <laughs> taken off, crossed off from the list, and that can be a freeing feeling. Or maybe there's many things on there that can just be parked for a moment. Um, and maybe there's things that once upon a time you wanted to do because they're attached to a certain goal or ambition, but maybe that goal or ambition has changed, but you've kept holding on to that. Um, and then so there can be, you know, once you see that, it can be really a great way to look at those and, and get rid of the shoulds so that you're left with the wants. Um, and that's not to say there won't be things that, you know, are responsibilities that we have to do but might not want to, but at least we can crystallise what we want to be doing and then look at prioritising our time and look at why am I making myself so busy in certain areas of my life when really it's this thing that I want to be doing. Um, and I think that once we take that inventory, we can sort of look at our own days or our own lives and our own circumstances. And maybe, again, it will be a very slow process of of, of um, inching closer towards our wants, but at least we're aware of them and we're not just stuck on this hamster wheel and not sort of asking ourselves um, what it is that we really want to be doing. And, um, yeah, slow, taking a, getting off that hamster wheel and, and having some curiosity I think can can really help with those feelings of productivity guilt, especially because maybe we can just stop. Maybe we can stop running around <laughs> um, and be okay with sometimes that that space that that brings. I think maybe that's what we're afraid of sometimes is is the pause and and not knowing that uncertainty that can come with that. I feel like we're kind of moving away from, um, you know, too many tips and tricks and what works for me won't necessarily work for you. Mm. But can I ask your tips and tricks um, in terms of letting go of that guilt and kind of having a healthier approach to kind of productivity and busyness and our work? Mm. Yeah. So I guess maybe it's more of a philosophy that I try to rem remind myself when I'm really stuck in that productivity guilt feeling and, you know, I, I'm sort of lamenting how much time I've wasted. Um, there's this beautiful book um, by Arnold Bennett, which was written more than 100 years ago, and it's called How to 
spend 24 hours a day, um, how to live on 24 hours a day. And in this book, um, Arnold Bennett says that the beautiful thing about time is that it can't be wasted in advanced, in advance. So you can always turn over a new leaf every hour if you choose. And so if I'm in that productivity guilt spiral, if I'm worried about all the time I'm wasting, I think, okay, that was the morning. I have this fresh hour in front of me. I don't need to take that into this new afternoon. I can turn over a new leaf and I can start again. And I can start again with really small steps and try to sort of limit that overwhelm and just focus on the hour in front of me, not the whole day, not the whole week, not the whole year. I think that's where we can become very overwhelmed. Um, And so I just try to remind myself that the only way to really waste time is to worry about wasting it. Um, So I can at least sort of look at this hour and, and do something with it, be it a walk, be it work, be it connecting with someone, um, making sure that I'm occupying the day rather than worrying about how I haven't optimized it. And on a personal note, do you feel like you've broken free of productivity guilt and, (laughs) um, you know, where are you now in that kind of journey? Um, <laughs> it's, it's a, sorry, putting you on the spot. No, it's it's I um I am very much. I wrote this book because I needed it. I um was stumbling over productivity guilt, and I still am because I don't think it's something that we can just switch off when we're entangled in in, in this society that we spoke about that that does sort of pressure us to be busy and and, and measure our worth by what we do. And so it's a constant uh, reminder and I think it's we're always learning new things about ourselves and we're always untangling and what worked yesterday won't work today necessarily. Um, so I'm not ashamed to admit that it still creeps up and I think it will for forevermore. And so it's just about reminding myself to be, to be curious and to be kinder um, because the you know, sometimes it's a tricky thing because you can lean too far the other way and sort of sometimes, you know, um, lean into inertia and, and, and sometimes procrastination, it can be valuable and sometimes it can be sabotage. And so, you know, it can be tricky to know whether productivity guilt can at times be a guide for you and it can alert you to, hey, this is something you actually really want to be doing, you should do it, <laughs> or whether you're being too hard on yourself. And so what I've arrived at is that in either example, um, what doesn't help is to berate yourself. Um, what doesn't help is to judge yourself because that's not going to help you do the thing. Um, so that's what I'm constantly trying to pick myself up on and remind myself to just be curious about whatever it is that I'm encountering rather than judgmental. Um, so yeah, I'm learning along with everyone. I think we all, we all will be. And anyone who has the answers I think is, um, telling a fib. (laughs) And I think my final question is, uh, is there a part of you that's still thinks there's a secret or there's this one hack or this one routine that will like solve all our problems or have you managed to let go of that idea <laughs> yeah I think I think with that one I'm still someone who will forever you know tinker with my to-do list and experiment with things but I now see that there's just a joy in that there's there's something really fun about trying the latest hack in many you know there's a there's a pleasure in, in trying to sort of um, you know, mix up our days and and try new things and learn. And, and the difference now is that I'm not, you know, hoping or I'm not pinning all this expectation into it fixing me. Instead, I'm, I'm embracing that I'm forever going to be imperfect and these are just things to keep learning and to keep 
um, engaging with um, and that's the fun part. So I guess it comes down to holding it more lightly um, and finding sort of the fun in it rather than all this pressure for it to solve my life. So this is goodbye from mentally yours. So go away, enjoy your day, get on with all your chores from mentally, 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 mentally yours. Mentally yours. Mentally yours. Mentally If you've been struggling with any of the issues we've been chatting about today, please give the Samaritans a ring on 116 123. You can also find them online at samaritans.org. You can find us online. We have a Twitter account, which is at MentallyYRS. And you can also join our lovely Facebook group, which is simply called Mentally Yours. See you next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.